Film Rage presents Verbal Masturbation with Bryson Jim. Today's Verbal Masturbation session is with the writer and director of the feature film Soft, Joseph Amenta. Welcome, welcome, Joseph. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for some verbal masturbation. I love me some verbal masturbation. And group verbal masturbation is even more fun. Yeah, I was doing it last night. Oh, i got to say I'm a little jealous. <laughs> now, we, you've already, we've already broken you in, obviously, but uh, we have a, a little you know, intro that we like to do with our guests on verbal masturbation called Or. I'm going to ask you something that is one or the other. And the only rule is you have to answer it. That's the only rule. Yeah, I I think I can manage that. uh, Perfect. Then you will will make it through. (laughs) All right. Yes. Let's get this on. John Waters or Gus Van Zandt? John Waters. All right. And you don't have to give the reasons why. You, you you can just say what they are. But if you want to expand, you're more than welcome. Amsterdam. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't going to. Okay, good. <laughs> this, <laughs> this may be the quickest interview in film rage history. Uh, <laughs> Amsterdam or Tokyo? Haven't been to either, but more interested in Tokyo. As am I. We'll meet I'm, a, I'm a, a bit of a gaming nerd. I, uh, I, I, I was seeking refuge and distraction with video games for the better part of my childhood. So Tokyo for sure. Nice. Rhubarb or Inside Out Festivals? Which one? In, and they're both in Toronto, uh, I understand. Rhubarb. Okay. Uh, I, I, I would say rhubarb. I was thinking more the vegetable, um, but let's go with inside out in that case. Okay. <laughs> this is the great thing about or you can interpret it any way, any way you want. It doesn't, I guess I, because I preference it with, it's a festival. I could have just said one of that and you know, rhubarbs are actually not bad. Skydiving or swimming with sharks. Skydiving. Because okay. I think that the, um, the benefit of seeing the world in that way would be quite, quite, quite a payoff. Okay. I like it. Teacher or student? Uh, well, I teach for a living at Toronto Film School, so I think I have to say teacher. But isn't a teacher always teaching their students that they're always learning? I suppose so, but I also taught painting classes for about seven years, so I think it's in my bones. <laughs> nice. Yeah, here's a little secret. I knew that about you. That's why I asked it. And that's or. All right. <laughs> yeah, I loved that game. Let's keep going. All right. So congrats on getting your first feature into the Toronto International Film Festival. How was the experience, and how did it feel seeing your film on the big screen at such a prestigious festival? Yeah, I hated it. No, I'm. I'm, I'm it was joking. the worst. It was, <laughs> it was quite magical. I mean, I, I've been making films in this city for a long time. I've had the pleasure of screening at TIFF before, but uh, with a feature, it's a completely different ballgame. And something that you've been working on for years and years and years, especially at our small scale, to see it um, play in a, a beautiful way at the festival was was quite a magical experience. 
Nice. So how was it uh, different? You kind of mentioned that between you. I know you had a short there before and, and the uh, big time of having the big feature there. What was, what was different? Well, I think the biggest, the biggest difference is the fact that when you're sitting in a theater that's packed, you realize that, you know, all of them are there to see your film. You know, it's not other filmmakers and family members or, or filmmakers that are, you know, interested in other works. It's them seeing your work. Uh, so the pressure, I mean, being naked on screen for an hour and a half was yes. uh, uh, gratuitous, but also terrifying. Um, but it's definitely the idea of people coming to see something that you've created and, and sit through it for an hour and a half. Wild. That uh, naked on screen thing. I have a feeling from the little we know of you that that wouldn't scare you too much, though. No. <laughs> you know what? Um, she loves the applause. Let's just say <laughs> Nice. <laughs> So uh, kudos to the amazing character development in this film. Uh, for me, it's my biggest driver in a film. You could have all the other things going around it, but if you can develop characters, then it, the, first, the, blah, the film is worth seeing. And the kids that are in this film, are do, do you, first of all, do you know them? Are they based on like real life? Were they an inspiration? Tell us more about the, the, these characters and and yeah, where uh, they come from. I mean, the film started with this concept of these three kids. Uh, before the narrative got involved, I always start my writing process with character. And I was fascinated with this idea of this kind of colorful gang, this um, colorful band of thieves that were moving through the city streets like they own the joint, when in reality they own nothing. But they're veiled under the illusion of, of youth and the invincibility that comes along with that. And I wanted to see them doing it with glitter and crop tops. I wanted them to feel powerful. And I knew during the casting process, which took about a year and a half, uh, a very, very intensive work and outreach, uh, that we were looking for unicorns and that we were looking for a trio that needed to not only work independently as, as stars, but also kind of come together within their chemistry to balance each other out, much like milk and cookies. So I feel like there was always the intention of focusing on an audience falling in love with these kids who are also in love with one another. That's really what the crux of the film is about mm -hmm. before anything else. And so did you know, like, are these characters based on anyone that you actually know or, or how did they, like they did this, you know, you planted the seed and it just cropped out of nowhere. Or? So I, I, I like to think of my filmmaking um, as a collection of memories and stories that I either get told or that I witness or some that I experience um, and I, I see myself in all of the characters you know the writing process for me is um, you know progressively more challenging but also more nuanced and as I cast I started discovering intricacies about these young actors that I wanted to embed into the characters one of the actors who plays Tony uh, played by Zion is a a young trans girl who I met through a friend of a friend and I knew immediately that she was very green but she had such a quality to her such an aloof beauty that I needed her in in the story in the film and then you know we began a search for a very long time to find these children uh, all that really embody different aspects of either who I was as a kid or who I wanted to be as a kid and um, we, we stumbled up across um, Harlow who is fiercely intelligent, almost um, in a scary way, uh, who plays um, Otis. And then the lead, uh, Mateus, who we found in a small town outside of Vancouver with his mousy brown hair and his very kind of thin, slender body, 
Um, we knew that he could be a spitfire on screen and he was really embodying the ego. He was embodying this catalyst quality that I, I find I have now in my adult life, but I wasn't able to tap into when I was young. And uh, I mean, I dyed his hair a shade of Kool-Aid orange and gave him a black eye and a crop top and encouraged him to be the biggest smartass I could possibly encourage. And um, I was able to kind of form these three sides of, of who, who I was and who I wanted to be within the structure of the narrative. His, the dialogue in it, some of it just seems so natural to you. It was like, did you let them go sometimes and just, you know, roll film or like that scene where they're by the water or, you know, those times when they're together wrestling in the park, that stuff did, did, was it, was it a case of, you know, okay, here's the script, just play within it. Or did, or did, did they have to follow it? hardcore well they didn't have to follow it hardcore i think the process for me again as a director and a writer is always to kind of listen and gather stories gather words um gather little motifs and moments so when we were rehearsing which took you know about a month and a half prior to production just spending time together going to get ice cream fooling around in the park doing rehearsals you know on the city streets when we were doing that you know i was i was hearing language between our rehearsals. I was seeing them interact and discover, and those moments were more interesting than some of the moments I had written in the script. And specifically for the first, I would say, quarter to a third of the film, the narrative is very loose. What I wanted to achieve was an understanding that the audience believed them and believed that they were in love with one another. Mm. So the discovery of the condoms and them playing near the water was always, um, was always meant to serve what it serves in the narrative. And the words that I had in the script were certainly placeholders. But I remember quite distinctly the opening sequence when they are fooling around with cigarettes and, and condoms. Um, we were running the lines and it was near the, the, the beginning of our rehearsals and it just wasn't hitting. There were nerves involved. They didn't know the lines, you know, they're, they're going to school simultaneously. It's all this, all this kind of hubbub mixed into learning a feature script. And when I gave them a pack of condoms as a kind of uh, prop for a, a scene we were holding in uh, rehearsal for uh, the film, in between the rehearsal, they opened the condoms and discovered such joy and frivolity and vulgarity <laughs> that I said, fuck this goddamn scene I have. Let's do that instead. Yes. And I ripped those condoms away and said, don't explore this anymore. And on the day we just <laughs> This played, is golden, yeah. It really was, you know, because you want them to experience. You can't write yeah. youth. The reason you work with uh, young young actors like that is because they have an ability to forget about the camera. Yeah. They have oh, an yeah. ability to be in the moment in a way an adult actor can never be. Oh my God. And I didn't want to lose that for my own uh, need of having my words on screen all the time. And, you know, it's funny, that scene, it really spoke to me personally, because that scene was almost exactly me and my friends when I was a kid. So as I was, I was watching it, and I grew up in Toronto. So it's like I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, my God, that's me and my friends the first time we found a pack of it was like you're exactly. like you're like 10 11 years old you don't even know what your dick is and then here you are finding like condoms what do we do with this put a track trying to put them over your head or yes you know, like yeah blowing them like balloons i mean yeah. it's this idea of being intrigued by sex and adults ideas of smoking and in you know, adulthood being intrigued by it but also being so distant from it that you don't understand 
what it means. Yeah. So I, I mean, that kind of discovery for me is just intrinsically interesting. Yeah. Oh man, you nailed that scene, or they nailed that scene. Thank so you. Uh, that's so cool. Now, you know, you're you've already said you're a teacher, and so did you did you always want to be in film? Like, how did you come to film? And like, was it you became a in film first and teacher second, or what? What did you always want to be, and why? Why did it change, or how did it change, or did it change? Well, I think teacher is a byproduct of me needing to pay my bills, and I think that there's an interest in seeing emerging young uh, filmmakers who are excited by what you're doing and what you have to say, and that keeps me kind of motivated and inspired. But I was making films when I was, you know, 12 years old. I mean, I was writing scripts when I was 12 years old. I saved up all my pennies, dimes, and nickels to uh, to purchase uh, an old camera. I think it was like a DV cam or something like that. The problem was getting the recording onto the computer, which took me uh, years and years and years to figure out. Um, but I was writing first and foremost. It was really about storytelling. It was about kind of capturing a connection between characters. Um, the visuals, I think, were something I developed through film school. I went after after high school. I came from a, a suburban area outside of the city. Went to a Catholic high school. Was quite sheltered growing up, and then I, you know, entered the big city with a bunch of really talented, interesting uh, filmmakers, and was terrified, and uh, was trying to kind of replicate the films that they were making or films that I had seen, as opposed to really focusing on the stories that I was experiencing in my life. And I think like after film school is when I really started becoming a filmmaker because I had fallen in love. I yeah. did drugs. I danced until six in the morning, and you know I I was engaging with my life, so I had something to say. Nice, yeah, and that's you know that's that's where you can see the true filmmakers is if you're trying to copy someone else or trying to be someone you're not, it's never going to come out as as natural, right? Absolutely, and I mean like I'm certainly not a cinephile. I love filmmaking. I love of uh, films that that move me but watching cinema for me is quite an emotional ar like sometimes arduous experience because if it impacts me i'm like left with those emotions those ideas and if it doesn't i'm feeling like i've w wasted my time so <laughs> i i don't watch ingest cinema constantly i i try to keep one foot really planted in my reality so that i have something continuously to say that's that's a good point like it's it's funny because that's not normally how you see it right you you don't see people coming at it from the me centric i guess if that's maybe true to you know we bryce and i you know we probably would never try to put a film together because we wouldn't have the abilities to but we can watch ten thousand films in a in a year right so yeah, I, I feel like for me, it's really about like listening to the world as it breathes around you. And my films are not typically forward-facing of my own experience. I actually quite uh, keep that at a distance. I'm more interested in observing the world and finding voices and characters uh, that I experience and kind of morphing them into my own twisted fantasy. And, and that's really where I, I get my experience as a filmmaker, really meeting with people who are not actors at all and interviewing them and finding what the core of their story is, even if just for a moment in a short, and developing a story and a narrative structurally from there. Uh, that's nice. All right. So you were uh, here in Calgary on the weekend. Uh, how was your trip here? Was it the first time you were here? How'd Sif treat you? 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I've never been to Calgary. It was the first time I had, um, had gone out there. My roommate's actually from Calgary, so she was giving me a little bit of information about what to expect. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. Everyone was very pleasant. The festival was lovely. Um, my screening wasn't as full as I would have hoped, but I think that um, my filmmaking style and perhaps my, my themes and what my film says is not always going to appeal to the masses of every space. I think that the experience for me was most beautiful in the people who did attend feeling quite um, emotionally moved and impacted by mm -hmm. the story. Because in a space that's not necessarily catered to these voices, having something like that on screen that they can access was really truly important for them. And, and that truly made my trip worthwhile. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I have a, a question that that I was going to ask, and I still will, but it, it makes me think that that like it's we're not seeing enough of different cultures on screen, and I think opening windows to that can help people just like to to just see somebody that you can relate to on screen. It has such a big impact that you know and have a voice, and to get that out there for you to be able to have more people. We had an interview earlier this week with someone who is of Korean uh, origin. And for them, it was like, I really want Korean people to see this film because of yeah, what I, the message was. I mean, I mean, for me, we talk about representation a lot in Canada specifically. And, and I think representation is important. But I also think that the the nugget there the kind of diamond piece of what we're talking about when we're talking about representation is just new perspectives in filmmaking new stories to engage with new visions and styles to witness you know i think it is important for people to see work uh, that represents them or reflects them but i also think it's important for people who are you know middle-aged cis white people who have $70 to spend at a festival to sit in a, a theater and engage with something that feels completely different from what they're normally watching. That's really the audience I hope to engage with. Um, and it's just, again, for the art itself, it's something different. It's something new. It's a new visceral lens into a coming-of-age story. And that should be enough to perk interest. It's funny you say that, too, because we have a friend who will rename <coughs> Nameless, um, and they... They like to see movies that basically is about them. But, and then anything that's not outside of that, it's kind of like they go, eh, I don't know if I really like that. Whereas Bryce and I, that's, that's a driver for us. If it's something that isn't us, we're choosing to go see that film because we do want to expand um, who we are as people, right? So I, I, mean, I, I love that, I what you're saying. I think that speaks to the student and all of us, as you were mentioning earlier, this idea of wanting to engage and learn and experience and witness. Like that's why I go to the theater. I do watch queer cinema, of course, because I want to support it and I want to see elements of my experience reflected on screen, of course. But I also grew up in a world where I was watching, you know, rom-coms and dramas that had nothing to do with me, epics in blockbuster cinema that had nothing to do with me where I wasn't visible at all. And I still left it enjoying the experience. I was still able to see dinosaurs and a sinking ship in the middle of the ocean and I was still taken by that emotional journey and what it speaks to for me is really like the human condition and experiencing life that feels um, greater than the average day 
And I'm open to that because I've been learning how to do that my entire life. I think some other demographics have a harder time engaging with work that、mm. feels foreign to them. But I think that that's changing as well. And I think that there's an opportunity, like in my work, to touch upon topics like queerness or racialization or poverty or homelessness without it feeling bogged down as a PSA, with with it feeling celebratory or bombastic or fast moving or kinetic or visceral. You know, I'm not interested in educating an audience first and foremost. I'm interested in taking them on a journey of my characters and allowing for them to feel moved in some way, or at least taken on the journey. Yeah. Do you think、uh, queer culture is now being better represented in film? Like, do you think that that the world is actually more open to it, and and that you're actually getting to see the realness that is there in in queer culture? Well, I, I certainly believe that there's a, a larger amount of queer content that's being created. I mean, look look at TIFF.、Uh, this year at TIFF, there was so much queer content. When I screened my short in 2019. There was a handful of queer films that were in the festival. I think the difference from my work and something that I've always kind of championed as a style of mine was I take the training wheels off and I really thrust an audience into my fantasy immediately without needing to explain it. And my films are not necessarily about queerness as an orientation or a gender expression exclusively. It's really about the world. Art and culture that we develop that I'm inspired by,、um, and engaging with that through the lens of children who are not yet sexualized but are experiencing this colorful world and wanting to be a part of it is, I think, the the element of representation that we still are a little bit lacking. Yeah, no, well, well said. The、um... it's a queer film with queer characters that's taking place in a queer world. Yeah, you know, like、yeah. that's a different situation than. A queer character whose、yes. um, main obstacle is fitting in. Yes. Yeah. They, th- everything seemed natural to them, and everybody that they interacted with, there was no judgment or or you know having to find ways. They they were just allowed to be themselves within the confines of their environment. So yeah. Yeah. And they no, were taking it right.、They、yeah. Taking up that space. No. Nobody. Nobody. Like I think a lot of people don't like to be beaten up by other cultures. They wanted to just. Absorb them within their natural habitat. So yeah, well done.、Um, how easy is it, do you think, though, to get funding for queer content?、Um, well, I think that there are initiatives now that are creating opportunities for emerging filmmakers to find、um, financing for films. But you know, we are a micro budget, and I think that those avenues are opening up for filmmakers at the lowest level, not necessarily the highest level. Um, and I think that you know, engaging with this work and seeing it play at these big venues and seeing the opportunities that are opening up, I think ultimately it's about the work. It's about the script. It's about the filmmaker's perspective, and that's what I think it should be about. What we need to do is foster opportunities in communities that aren't necessarily exposed to filmmaking to galvanize them. Uh, to develop their skills, to prepare them for a feature film, to prepare their、uh, ability to tell a story, and allow for that to be the barometer of whether or not their stories get told. Because we want the stories that are on screen to be strong representations, not necessarily positive, but nuanced and well thought out.、Um, and and that's really where I think Canada is still finding its footing because we give opportunities to marginalized voices. 
but we're giving them kind of breadcrumbs and we're not necessarily creating an infrastructure for them to learn how to do it well and without um, trauma. <laughs> Interesting. So do you think there's a country doing it better? No, I, I mean, I think that the ability to finance work as an independent artist in Canada is, is, is pretty spectacular. I think that the problem in Canada, uh, art-wise or cinema-wise, is because it's not so cutthroat or, or it's not privately financed, etc., um, it ends up being a numbers game where financing will go to a lot of people, even if those people are not necessarily prepared to make a film. Mm -hmm. And that cuts resources for people who are perhaps more prepared to make a film. And because you're throwing a blanket and you're hoping for cream to rise to the top, ultimately what rises to the top is still hurt. So I think what we need to do is try to strike the balance between giving opportunities to an array of voices, but also still find merit in the work um, and also have people at the highest level be able to connect with work that is different from their own, even if they don't accommodate the demographic in which the work, work is speaking. Mm. That's interesting. It looks like we have this, this balloon of money and then it gets allocated so many places. Interesting comment because David Cronenberg went to Greece to get his film made right so it's uh mm -hmm. it you can say like directors of that level and caliber are still having to sometimes go outside of canada right yeah and i think it's about wanting to kind of breach that that ceiling that we sometimes experience here you mm -hmm. know especially as as english canadian filmmakers like stop and think about it for a moment we don't have regional cinema in the same way that even Quebec has because the content that they're engaging with that's that's self-made is something that can only be sourced and created there. Our biggest competitor is an American media outlet that is the biggest in the world and we're creating content that has the same audience. So, you know, if we were in Iran or in, in Greece or in Italy, even if those worlds are smaller, the audience is already baked in because mm. they want to engage in cinema in their mother tongue. In Canada, English Canadians don't necessarily have that privilege. We're competing with the biggest of the big. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's well well put because you can see, obviously they speak English in other countries, but our friends to the south is always, we're always having to compete. I, I can see that. Even with the lack of an accent difference, mm. like the UK, yeah or even you know australia um there, there's there's a, an association that we have with with american media that is undeniable i mean there's going to be comparisons drawn no matter what this one may be a little bit of a a tricky question it took me a while to try and figure out how to ask this question but did the serial killer in toronto have any influence over this story yes absolutely i mean the the lead character um, engages with a man named Bruce, um, which I pulled the name from, from Bruce MacArthur. I mean, the, the idea of me kind of developing this and writing this when that, when that all came to light, especially so close to home, you know, um, it was just something that I feel was a massacre in our country that no one really cared about. Um, and it was also in conjunction with a case, uh, Mocha Dawkins, who, um, is a trans sex worker in the city who was put in jail after stabbing a man who eventually died after he pulled a knife on her. And she was put in an all-male prison. And it just made me think about how we trust the system when you're living on the fringes of it. And 
this idea of queer people being invisible to, to the mainstream world and not necessarily having the, the foundation to really feel supported, seen, or protected. Uh, and that was really the crux of what happens in my film and why it occurs the way it does. So it must have been quite the emotional journey as you're re-watching the telling. And have, have other people came up to you and sort of talked about that? And how, especially I'm thinking about Toronto where it happened, the people that are in Toronto, were they coming to you and saying, this brought up memories again or this affected me? Well, I think that the, 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 the connection is perhaps so subtle within the film that, that it's, it's quite rare that people are even aware of the case still, that they that, that pick up on it. But I think the, the prevailing connection is really the protection of trans women of color who engage in some sort of form of sex work. I mean, no one wants to talk about this because we're all trying to look squeaky clean for straight culture and my, mainstream society for positive representation. But sex work is embedded in queer culture. And the reason it's embedded in queer culture is because we are valued in the shadows. We are valued sexually in the shadows. Our sexual awakening is often tumultuous and stilted. And sex work is um, a reality of this community that I'm in. And um, it's really about allowing for women like the lead in my film to feel protected and seen and validated in that experience as opposed to uh, chastising that experience or distancing people from that experience. Um, so I think it's more connected to trans violence or uh, the protection of trans women and trans youth as opposed to um, uh, Bruce MacArthur specifically. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that's more things are coming to light about it. So mm -hmm. I'm glad it's I'm glad it's a big part of the film itself. So the more people that see it, I mean, will... eleven years he was killing people for eleven years, and the reality wow. again is that he was doing it to people he knew were not being. There was no link because yeah. they were either immigrants here who were working with their families back in their home country. They were closeted. They were engaging in um, homosexual interactions very secretively. And there was no link. And the idea of people hiding so consistently in my world creates a sea of danger. And he capitalized on that. Yeah. Crazy. All right. So, uh, where is the film going from here? On that note, let's pivot to the film. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have that, to uh, at some point. We're ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I appreciate that refocus. Awkward um, segue. We're, we're ready. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I appreciate that question because uh, I think that understanding themes beyond what we're seeing in an hour and a half film is important. Um, the film is going to Vancouver. Very shortly, I fly out on Thursday. We have two screenings in Vancouver, and then we're headed to uh, FNC in Montreal. I think we have a few other Canadian festivals that are still in the works, haven't been announced yet, that will be coming soon. And uh, very much so looking forward to an international uh, premiere. Uh, we're being a little bit picky, and we're being selective and trying to find the right home for the international premiere. And we're simultaneously talking to um, distributors internationally as well as figuring out what our domestic move is going to be and which option we're going to take. And, which is funny because that, that moves right into our other question is distribution. So nothing, yeah. nothing solid yet, but but it's it's actually in the works. So, so is this an exciting time or a stressful time then? 
I mean, do you want me to be honest? I'll yes, be honest. always. Let's be honest. I mean, we had in, we had we had interest from the very beginning. You know, we were partnered with uh, Panavision. They they gave us the the camera equipment for free uh, at the script level, and we had some interest from some distributors at the script level that we did not take um, for the sake of me wanting to maintain some sort of artistic freedom and engage with people uh, who I felt were valuable to the process of production. Um, we have offers. Uh, we've we've had offers, uh, especially after TIFF. Um, I think that I'm a filmmaker who is used to making work quite siloed. I mean, I was editing, producing, directing, writing my work prior to this, and um, there's a level of trust that needs to be fostered before I'm ready to sign on the dotted line. Mm. But uh, domestic distribution mm. is between two options right now, both of which I'm very confident will be fantastic domestic distributors for the film. Um, and it's really about being realistic that the film is small and the market has changed since uh, since COVID and needing to process what move makes most sense. Get most views, right? Let's get you need, the money's obviously yeah, it's good. It's about getting eyes, right? Yeah, yep. eyes on the product. Yeah, the money's good, but the you know the views are are way more where it's at. There's um a move that the the kids do, and actually the, the it happens a few times within it where they they'll grab each other's face. And lean in and touch each other's heads. First off, I love that. I loved it when it it repeated itself and it showed that connection that is so deep between the characters. Uh, first off, I'm I'm grabbing the computer, by the way, and I'm <laughs> head connecting there. foreheads. Um, where where'd that come from? I did it as an exercise once in a workshop. Um, it was a talent lab and it was a way of breaking down barriers for people that I was getting to know. And I found the experience so profoundly intimate and terrifying and exhilarating um, that I knew I wanted to engage with that kind of sentiment in the film. I think it's also important to note that I wanted there to be intimacy without sexuality. And um, the action of it happening earlier on in the film where Dawn engages with this young boy, you can see that there's a sense of reservation in her intimacy. She's still quite guarded. She's had her own demons to fight off. And she's not immediately a, you know, a giving mother. And she's still figuring out how to communicate her care, how to communicate her love. So this very simple act of connection, uh, feeling physically connected and very closely, uh, intimately linked, uh, is mirrored by the lead character when you don't have the words to express it. You know, some people like myself have a hard time expressing how much they love someone or expressing uh, their care or being intimate with another person. And I found that the lead character really was a reflection of that within me. And, and having a silent exchange of that intimate interaction was a way of saying a million things without saying nothing at all. Yeah, it... I love that scene. It, are you, is that going to be you. your signature now? Are you going to use that in every film? Because that could be <laughs> that could be your signature move. You know what I mean? It's it's that uh, expression of you. That, yeah, perhaps perhaps I'll I'll revisit it one day. <laughs> so that's our formal questions that we had for you. Is there something that we haven't asked you that you really want? You've been sitting there going, God, I wish they would ask me this. And we just haven't. So is there something that you want to tell tell our listeners, tell the world, tell anyone who wants to listen? Well, first of all, come see the film. Um, and second of all, let's talk about uh, the title change. Um, mm. The film was originally titled Pussy. 
um, and has been since changed to soft. Uh, both both words for me in my experience growing up, specifically on the fringes of Toronto, um, both words kind of have the same sentiment. Uh, if you're called soft uh, growing up, you're called a pussy. There's this idea of softness or femininity being linked to weakness. Um, and the, the kids within the context of the film are using this language in a discriminatory way without understanding that it's meant to oppress people like them. It's this kind of learned language that they've picked up and are now using. But in the ballroom world, uh, with that chanting within the soundtrack, it's used as, as a chant to fuel their ferocity and ownership and power and freedom and expression. And it's really a reclaiming of feminine power um, because a lot of queer people, specifically queer femme people, are taught to see it as weakness through its misogynistic roots. And, you know, now in the morning when I wake up, I say, I feel pussy, meaning I feel like the only one in the building. Ultimately, it was a barrier for the film, especially in the American market, because it's quite a censored word. I mean, for a number of reasons. Um, and we had to pivot to soft, but the word pussy is still the most uh, used word in the entirety of the film. So it's still, um, sometimes you have to wrap an arsenic in a pretty bow. <laughs> and you know, when you put the two words together, it even makes a better, or maybe not better, but it I also mean, makes a, I yeah, mean, who doesn't exactly. like a soft pussy, right? It's like... I mean, the idea, I, and I will clarify there, like the idea of its association, the word pussy being so linked to genitalia, I obviously understand that. But it's 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 a word that has so much more meaning yeah. than that within 2022. Yeah, I mean, even with you opening with the word, the c word at the beginning of the word by the kids talking, right? It was like, it's like slaps you in the face, and then they hit you with a giant blown up condom. So it's like, <laughs> it's like you're gonna get some here. I mean, and kids use that language. Yeah, I mean, you, you have words that come and go through generational use. Some words from when you were younger or when I was younger are not necessarily still relevant in, in lingo these days. But that word pussy has been a word that has stuck around and it is linked to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, calling out feminine expression in men. And I mean, both of you have probably been called pussy before in your life too. You know, you're not willing to jump off the bridge into the deep water, you're a pussy. A toxic masculinity can leach into a million different ponds. I prefer to be called soft pussy now, but that's... Oh, um, goodness. <laughs> but you can call me anything you want. But yeah, no, it's true. Absolutely. It, it, it is. It's, I kind of wish we could keep the word pussy as the title, but you know, <laughs> I, get, I totally get why you have to do it. It makes sense. Yeah. Right? Ultimately, again, it's about those eyes. Yeah, exactly. The more people that can see it, the better, better it is. Now, where can everybody find you? Uh, well, you can find my website uh, with contact information at josephamenta.com. Joseph with Amenta spelled A-M-E-N-T-A. And you can check me at uh, Joseph Takes Photos on Instagram uh, just to follow kind of current updates as well as soft underscore the film on Instagram for future updates on the work. Perfect. Any final words? Yeah, this experience was terrible. I hated it. Yeah, you're you're terrible <laughs> too. We're never having you on again. You're the best. You're the but you are the best soft pussy that we've ever met. So oh, enough with the soft pussy. Go watch my film, everyone. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Ragers, to, for listening. Make sure to get tickets because you can still see Soft at Calgary International Film Fest at home on their website at Calgary or sorry, Sif Calgary. 
Dotsie, as it will be streaming in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba until Sunday, October 2nd. Did you want to add something there? Well, starting Thursday, 10 a.m., what is that, September? What's today? I'm losing it's all track this, of time. September, today, September 29th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right. Is when you can start watching it all the way until Sunday. And hopefully we'll get everyone from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba to check it out. Again, uh, thanks, Ragers, for listening. Thanks to everyone who follows us. You can find us on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram at FilmRageYYC. Check out everything FilmRage at FilmRageYYC.com. Please comment, like, and subscribe and send us an email to FilmRageCalgary at gmail.com. That is it for this special verbal masturbation during SIF Calgary. Until next time, rage on. Rage on. <laughs>